You guys may be seated, and uh, today, if you want to follow along in your Bible, we're going to be uh, in Acts chapter 14, kind of finishing up chapter 14 together. We're not going to cover a whole lot of verses, but I want to cover some stuff that I think will, uh, will really help us. We have been looking at the life of the Apostle Paul, kind of looking how Paul went from being this, this legalist with this Pharisaic checklist to really the champion of grace, the guy who comes in and and, and fights for grace and grace alone. We have said several times already that Paul's theology is, is this theology that says that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And Paul becomes a champion of that, and he has gone now to these, uh, these places that we've looked at on this first missionary journey. Um, and where we left off last week was that, that Paul was... Uh, kind of bloody and bruised. He has just been stoned and left for dead in the city of Lystra. That Lystra was the hometown of of young Timothy. And so uh, we gather from other scriptures that Timothy was probably a witness to that. And so Paul is is bruised. He's bloodied. He's left for dead. He gets up. He goes back into that town that night, spends the night, and then gets up the next day. And he and Barnabas take off to this, really this final city uh, that they're going to, to visit called Derby. Derby is about 40 miles away, and so it would have been, on an average, they could travel about 10 miles a day, so about a four-day journey that he's going to take down to this city called Derby. In Acts chapter 14, uh, verse 21, uh, it says that they, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, then they start backwards, and they start going back to some of these towns that they've always already visited. So in, in, in this this summary of what's, what's happening here, we're, we're not told much about what happened in Derby. We, we were told that they went there. Evidently, they stayed there long enough to, to, to lead a lot of people to Christ, uh, to begin this process of discipling them and helping them to know how to be, be founded and grounded in God's Word. We said, I think two weeks ago, that, that Paul's strategy was never to attach people to himself, but to attach people and ground them in Jesus Christ. Paul was the guy that would say that I I laid a foundation and there's no other foundation other than Jesus Christ and others will come along and they will build upon that foundation but but Paul's job was to lay a firm foundation of Jesus Christ and so he goes into Derby, he leads many to Christ uh, and then uh, they made them and and began this process of discipleship where he begins to do that. There's no mention of any kind of, of persecution, there's there's no opposition that seems to arise, and in fact, there's no, no synagogue that is there. And if you remember, in all these stops that Paul's made, just about everywhere he's been, it's been the synagogue leaders that have come against Paul. They're the ones that they want to hang on tightly to this legalistic list, and, and, and every time Paul goes in with grace and he begins to preach, and the, the Gentiles hear and the Gentiles respond, it's those synagogue leaders and those Jewish leaders that that, that tend to run Paul out of town everywhere he's been. Well, there's no mention of any of that here in Derby, and so they kind of come and, and they hang out for a little while, and, uh, and we're just told this little bit about Derby, that, that they preach the gospel, uh, which was their, their pattern, uh, that many believed, and, and they made many disciples. And so um, they probably stayed there for a little while. We don't know how long. We, we do know, uh, just from the, the, the historical records, that there were seasons when you could travel and seasons when you couldn't travel. And so uh, sometimes we, we get this, I say we, let me just make it personal. I get this jet set mentality, you know, where um, you've got politicians who are campaigning and they fly into a town, they make a speech, and then they fly out that, you know, an hour later and, and they just hit town after town after town after town. And, and that's not the case here with, with Paul. 
Paul would move into a town. He would stay as long as the Holy Spirit would allow him to stay. He would preach the gospel. He would win converts to Christ. And then he would begin to disciple these guys and, and form them into a, a, a church body. And so that takes place here. But uh, he's there for, for however long. We're not sure how long. Um, and then they decide to, to revisit, to return to each of the cities and the places that they have visited before. Now, I want to I show you something on a map here because... When, when we look at the map and we realize where these guys have been, we, we talked about the fact they started here at Antioch. This is where they're going to end up on their first missionary journey is back to Antioch. But, but they've made this, this trip down through Cyprus. They've, they've covered the island of Cyprus where Barnabas is from. And then they moved up and they've gone up in here to another Antioch. And then here into Lystra, uh, or, or to Iconium, to Lystra, and then to Derby. And here's where they're going to kind of turn around and head back home. And this, this red line kind of shows you their journey back home. The reality is they've, they've hit all these places, and the easiest trip would have been to go back through Tarsus and just around and back to Antioch and just make that little trip through the, through the mountains and get back home. It was a shorter distance. It would have been a lot better. And so we've got to ask the question, why is it that they didn't just take the short trip back home? Why is it that they double back and they go into cities where they were persecuted, where they were stoned, where they were run out of town, where they were beaten? Why do you go back to the places that you've already been when you were run out of those places uh, and, and in a very painful way. Anybody got any idea of why they would double back and go back to these towns where they've been run out? What's your best guess? To check on the believers that were led to Christ. On this, on this return journey, when they go back, they're not going back into the synagogues and they're not stirring up more trouble. They're not trying again to... To, to, to take the gospel back to these Jews, what they're trying to do is to go back and revisit each place that they've been to take those group of believers, those, those, those people who have just come to Christ, they're brand new in their faith. Remember, this missionary journey took two years. So it, they, they, some places they're going to go to, these believers have been believers now for a year and a half to two years. And, and they're going to go back and they're going to revisit these places and they're going to, to see them. They had been rough on Paul and Barnabas, but, but they're going to go back because the new believers needed to be discipled. They needed to be instructed. They needed to be encouraged. And, and we're going to see some, some terms that this, this passage uses to describe Paul's purpose and his goal in going back to these people. Uh, he had left in a hurry. You remember, many of these places, man, Paul is up speaking and he's preaching and, and, and he's winning people to Christ. And all of a sudden, man... They, they began to stone him. They drag him outside of the town. The next thing you know, Paul's gone. Or Paul will be in a place and he's, he's preaching and he's teaching and the Holy Spirit says, Paul, you've got to get out of town now because they're coming after you. They're going to kill you. So many times Paul left just, just that quick. I mean, it's, it's, it's a thing where, where he, was, he, was had to, he had to leave very, very quickly and he feels the need now to go back and to, to check on them and to disciple them. And, and it's a reminder to us that we do not need to separate evangelism from discipleship. There are those that have the gift of evangelism and those who have great gifts in the area of discipleship, but we in the church need to keep those things together. Uh, churches that, that just focus on evangelism, that, that just you know, have this great altar call and, and people by the dozens are coming to get saved, if those churches don't disciple them, they'll, they'll come in the front door, they'll, they'll make a decision, and they'll walk out the back door just about as fast as they came. And, and those churches will never mature and those believers will never mature. Uh, so you can't separate evangelism and discipleship. And Paul understood that, that in order for these churches to thrive, in order for these, these believers to grow, they were going to need both. When we take in, and we do evangelism without discipleship, we end up with weak believers that never mature in their faith. 
It's kind of like that Corinthian church that Paul writes to in 1 Corinthians where he says, you know, you, you ought to be eating steak dinner by now, and I'm still holding you and nursing you with a bottle. They, they never grew. They never matured. They needed to be discipled. And Paul knew that that was the same case with these churches that he had started, that, that he wasn't there long enough to fully mature them and to fully develop them. And so he had a heart to go back and to do some discipleship because evangelism without discipleship leaves you weak. But discipleship of those who have not been evangelized just creates Pharisees. And so we need those two things working together. We need to be able to, uh, to do both. And, and so evangelism has got to be followed by discipleship because here's something I need you to grab a hold of. And this is something that, that I'm still trying to wrestle through the, the implications of. But that the gospel is not just for the lost. But the gospel is also for believers. Yesterday, we gathered with Daryl's family for his brother's uh, service. And we needed the gospel at the graveside. We, we need the gospel in the church. We need the, the gospel in the workplace. We need the gospel whether we've been a Christian for a week or a month or whether we're just now coming to understand that gospel. We never outgrow the gospel. The gospel is, is central to everything. We need to be reminded of it because even after I've become a believer, I tend to forget the gospel or I tend to think, well, yeah, I came to Christ with the gospel, but now I've got this. And the reality is the good news of the gospel, what Jesus Christ did for us, we never outgrow that. And we need to be reminded of it again and again and again. So even though they've heard the gospel, Paul is going to take the gospel back to them and remind them of the gospel and ground them in the gospel, train them in the gospel so that they can multiply and they can take that gospel out. Paul wasn't going to be around to win every person in Iconium to Christ. He was going to strengthen the church and let the church do the work of, of growing them. And so when we see this here, we see the gospel is not just for the lost, but it's also for believers. I didn't understand that when I came to Christ. I grew up in a church that was highly evangelistic. I mean, every Sunday you would see people coming to know, to know Christ. That church baptized 100 to 150 people a year. That's two or three a week that were coming to know Christ because we were, were focused and heavy on evangelism. My home church did not understand, nor did they teach, nor did they do discipleship. So we had a lot of people in our church that, that knew how to share the gospel, but we all thought the gospel is just for the lost. And we didn't know how to be grounded in that. Paul's trying to avoid that. And so what Paul's doing here is he's saying, look, we need to go back and we need to visit these places that we've been because those new believers need to be reminded again and again and again of the gospel. Paul would say in his later writings, he says, listen, I know I've told you this before. And it's no trouble for me to remind you of it again. And I'm probably going to remind you again and again and again because we never outgrow the good news of the gospel. So here we are. We see them getting ready to double back and begin to, uh, to go to these places that they've already been. So they, they kind of stop here in Derby. Uh, they do this U-turn, and they head back to Lystra, to Iconium, and back to Antioch. And they're going to hit those three. We're not told what happens there a whole lot. I mean, we're not given details in each city of how they were received. But can you imagine the, the excitement of those new believers when they see Paul coming back into town? Paul's looking them up, and he's saying, Look, guys, I had to leave in a hurry. But, but I'm back, and I want to share with you more of the gospel. I want to share with you more of what's going on. And so they make this return trip, not to engage the Jews, but to strengthen the believers. And so in Acts chapter 14, verses 22 and 23, it kind of outlines what their objectives were when they went back through these towns. Look at verse 22 and 23. It says they returned, in, in verse 21, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, 
Verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. In this, we see several things that, that, that they were going to do as they went back to each of these churches. Let me just give you the five real quick, and then we'll kind of break down some of this, okay? Here's what they did. It says they went in there to strengthen the souls of the disciples. That's the first thing that they wanted to do. The second thing was to encourage those disciples to continue in their faith. The third thing they were going to do was to teach or remind or prepare them for the tribulations that would await them between this time and the time that they make it to eternity, the, the tribulations that were bound to come in, in the remainder of their lives. Then they would appoint elders that would help lead those churches, and they would commit those churches and those leaders and those people to the Lord in whom they had put their faith. So these were all young believers. They were all brand new in the faith. Most of them were of the Gentile uh, uh, backgrounds. So that meant they didn't have a lot of knowledge of the, of the Old Testament and of scriptures. And so there was a lot that they needed to learn, kind of a big learning curve that needed to happen there. And, and they still needed this gospel just like we do because they had not outgrown the gospel. So notice what Paul does with the gospel. The first thing we said was that he strengthened the souls of the disciples. You may want to jot this down, but the gospel strengthens your soul. It strengthens your, your, your soul, who you are. It, 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 it strengthens our spirit. It strengthens our soul. The, the gospel of Jesus Christ comes and, and, and it strengthens us. And it's why we've got to call other people back to the gospel again and again. As we walk through life together, as we do life together, we need to constantly be calling each other back to the gospel. There's times that we'll do things in our lives that, that don't line up with the gospel. And when that happens, we need a brother or a sister who can come alongside of us and say, is that gospel? Is the way you responded lining up with the gospel? We need to call each other back to the gospel. And, and that's what Paul's going to do here is he's going to, to come in there. And I'm sure that when he came back, everything wasn't perfect. And he began to call them back to the gospel. And so the, the gospel strengthens our soul, and it's why we need to be called back to that. We need to be reminded of what Jesus has done for us, and that what Jesus has done is enough for us. In Romans chapter 16, if you want to turn there with me, Romans chapter 16, uh, Paul is going to, uh, to express how this gospel uh, strengthens our soul. Chapter 16, the last couple of verses of that chapter, uh, it says in verse 25, uh, Now to him, to God, who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and according to the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God, that's a great commission, to bring about the obedience of the faith. And this is to the only wise God, be glory forever. So what's he saying here? He's saying this gospel that Paul preached, he's writing to the Roman church later on. He says this, this gospel is able to strengthen you in your faith. So he calls them back to the gospel and it, he says God strengthens us through the gospel. He strengthens us through the preaching of Jesus Christ. He, he reveals his salvation to us through the gospel. And he says and that leads to this obedience of faith which brings glory to God. So if our whole purpose for living, guys, is to bring glory to God, how do we get to that point that I can bring glory to God? It all starts back there with the gospel and with the preaching of Jesus. 
It strengthens our soul. It reminds us of, of, of where our salvation is anchored. And as we live that out day to day, not with checklists, but this love relationship with God, it brings glory to the Father. It brings glory to God. So he says the first purpose is to strengthen the souls of the disciples. The second thing he says the gospel does is that it encourages disciples to continue in their faith. Back there in that, in that passage in, in Acts, he says that, that he strengthened their souls, but he encouraged them to remain faithful and true and, and to continue in their faith. So our, our faith doesn't just begin with the gospel, but it's continued and it's propelled by the gospel. Uh, the gospel doesn't just begin our faith, but our, our gospel grows our faith. In Romans chapter 5, another passage where Paul talks about how we grow in this, he says, he says these words, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Kind of a long passage, but follow with me, okay? He says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Even more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame, but because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows us his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we, that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Paul's reminding the Romans of, of all that Jesus had done to bring them into that relationship. He's, he's summarizing the gospel there in chapter 5 and reminding them that they've been saved, they've been reconciled, they've been brought into a peaceful relationship with God. He's reminding them of the gospel. And he says here that, that as he does that, that, that this produces some, some qualities in them that bring God glory. So the gospel is, is the gospel that comes and encourages us to continue in our faith. Why? Because God started it, and God wants to see it through. He's faithful. That, that which he begins, he will see through. And so it's a reminder when we look at the life of Christ that we should continue in that same way that he did. It encourages us that, that, that there's trials and there's tribulations that are coming. And in this, in this passage, guys, it, he reminds us that trials are going to come. He says in verse 3 that, that we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that they have a purpose. Paul fully expected the believers of Christ to suffer. We don't do that much anymore. We live in a country where we have a lot of freedom a lot of rights to gather every week and to study the Word of God. And, and our idea of persecution is that somebody looks at us funny when we talk about Jesus. <laughs> That's not at all Paul's idea of persecution. He says, you're, you're, you're going to suffer. And that leads to the third thing that, that Paul wanted to do was to prepare the people for the tribulations that were, were sure to come. 
to prepare them for the trials and the tribulations that would come because Paul was going to move on, but this church was going to be planted and it was going to be strong and it was going to proclaim the gospel. And as it did, it was going to suffer persecution. And Paul knew that and he knew he needed to prepare the people for the tribulations because something happens when tribulations come where our knees get weak and we want to, to go underground. We want to, to hide the gospel. We want to, 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 to do something to avoid that persecution. That's just natural for our flesh. And yet Paul knew that if that church was going to thrive, it needed to stand. And when it stood, it was going to suffer some persecution. And so he, he uses the gospel to prepare us for the tribulations that will await us. <laughs> the good news of the gospel starts the bad news. The good news of the gospel was made possible by some bad news. Our Savior died. He was crucified. There is no good news apart from that bad news. There is no good news apart from that suffering. There is no good news apart from that sacrifice. And, 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 and I think that, that in the world in which we live, we grow so comfortable that sometimes we forget that persecution is going to come. Sometimes I hear believers say, man, if I, if I talked about Jesus at work, I'd lose my job. And Paul would say, yeah, and? I almost lost my life, Paul would say. But we can't let the world silence us. We can't let the world intimidate us. We can't let the world stop the gospel from being shared because people are lost and dying without it. And so he says here, I want to prepare you that tribulations are going to come. And, and, and that good news is Jesus died. He was killed to accomplish God's plan. And believers, Paul would say, should be prepared for nothing less than that. Many great scholars have said over and over again that the, the call to Christ is a call to die. Jesus said it, didn't he? If you want to come and follow me, then you've got to lay down your life. Sometimes that means physically, we're going to physically die for our faith. Other times it means I've just got to die to myself. And I think that's even harder. It's to die to myself so that I can live for Christ. Hebrews chapter 12. If you want to look there with me, Hebrews chapter 12. Um, Paul reminds us again of this call. He says, consider Christ. Look at him as your example. Hebrews 12, you're familiar with the first two verses. It says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin and those things which, which cling so closely and let us run with endurance the, the race that's set before us. Look to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame and he's now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And he says in verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. The writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, man. It's going to come. Look at, look at all those who've gone before you. In fact, look at your, at your Savior, Jesus Christ, and what he endured, the hostility that he endured for the cause of Christ. Look what he endured. And do so and consider that to understand fully what he went through so that you don't grow weak and you don't grow faint-hearted when those same things begin to happen to you. In 2 Timothy, Paul is writing again, and he's preparing young Timothy for, for what lies ahead for Timothy. And so in 2 Timothy chapter, uh, chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Timothy, listen, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
all who desire, not some, but all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And it's not going to make much sense. He says, evil and evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse and they're going to deceive and, and, and being deceived. But as for you, continue. Continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. Trials are going to come. And it's going to seem like everybody's getting away with murder and we're going to be tempted to compromise our faith. And, and Paul would say, don't do that at all. C- consider what Christ has been through and, 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 and live this godly life, understanding that persecution may result from that. Misunderstandings are going to result from that. People in your own family may not understand why you're doing what you're doing, but do it anyway. Do it anyway. Continue in what you've learned and what you've been taught. Because if you desire to live a godly life, there's going to come some problems. There's going to come some persecution. Paul fully expected new believers to share the gospel. And they expected those churches to multiply. And he fully expected those new believers to suffer because of the gospel. So Paul says as he doubles back to these churches that he's going there with a purpose so that the gospel could strengthen the soul, it could encourage them to continue in the faith, and it could prepare them for the the trials and the tribulations that were sure to come. To strengthen, to encourage, and to prepare. Guys, listen, these are the three things that, that we focus on trying to do through our gospel communities. To strengthen, to encourage, to prepare, to teach, to warn. I had a dear friend that tell me that, that, that sometimes when we talk about gospel communities, people get uncomfortable. And, and I want you to know that's never my purpose. It's never my intention. But it's biblical for us to meet together, for us to do life together, for us to to, to enter in each other's world and and remind each other of the gospel. This is is why Paul put his life in danger to go back to these cities and to meet with these people again was to to strengthen and to encourage and to prepare. And and that's what we want to do through our gospel communities. And, And as a pastor, I share that with you, not to make you feel guilty if you're not a part of one, but to say to you, man, there's so much that that can be gained through that. And so if you can... Plug in and be a part of that because that's, that's, the, that's the gospel pattern that we see even here is that we, we, we get people back together. We, we bring the body together. We strengthen, we encourage, and we prepare ourselves for what's still to come. Paul also wanted to go back to these cities to appoint elders. Again, these churches were young. When Paul left, there wasn't time to, to say, well, man, you're going to be a leader, and you're going to be a leader, and you're going to be a leader. There, Paul was run out of town. And so he goes back and he hangs out with these guys and they pray and they fast and they say, Holy Spirit, show us who it is that you've, that you've put in this body that's going to lead this body to become the church that you want it to be. And so they spend some time praying, they spend some time fasting, and they hear from the Holy Spirit in each of these locations who the leaders are going to be. And it says that they appointed elders in these churches. These were the guys that were selected and appointed to be the leaders elders or pastors or whatever term that you might want to use for that but these were going to be the spiritual leaders of this church it says elders plural leading us to think that there's probably more than one in each of these locations that that shared the responsibility and the load for leading that church they were given the authority to lead but also the responsibility before god for that leadership 
And so they're there, and, 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 and then before they leave, it says they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Committed them to the Lord. What, what does that mean? I went back and looked up, what does that mean to commit someone to something? And, and literally that, that word for commit means to place in someone's hands. You're placing, you're, you're, you're committing yourself or you're committing someone or something of great value in the hands of someone else. And so what Paul's done is he's gone back through these churches and now he's saying to the Lord and to the church, God, I, I can't stay here and I can't pastor and shepherd and protect these people, but, but they're yours. This is your church. These are your believers. These are your children. And I, I trust them to you. I put them in your hands, Lord, knowing that, that you're going to meet their needs, that you're going to supply their, their, their leaders, that you're going to supply what they need for this church to thrive and to multiply. And so he placed them into God's hands, into God's care, because they belong to God and not to Paul. So having strengthened them and encouraged them and prepared them, um, having uh, appointed elders and then given them back to the Lord in some kind of formal way, it says they departed and they headed back for home. Now, home for them was not where they grew up. Home for them was not where Paul had gone to be instructed. Home for them was back to Antioch. And so they finish up in, in, in Derby and, and then uh, these other three cities that they visited and they, they turn from Antioch and they begin to head back south. And they're going to make their, retrace their steps back down to the coast. And, uh, and they're going to head back to Antioch. And so in chapter 14, uh, we see the, uh, the mention of this here in verses uh, 24 through 26. It says, Then they passed through Poseidon, came to Pamphylia, uh, and when they had spoken the word in Perga. Now Perga is a town that they went through, but they didn't stop. Okay, remember when they landed, when they came up from, from Cyprus, they, they hit Perga right there on the coast, and they just beelined up to Antioch. And, and I'm not sure, the Bible doesn't tell us why. We, we think that possibly that was because of the, the, the small travel season when the weather would be cooperative for them to travel. So they didn't have time to hang out there long. They just kind of went through, didn't stop, and headed on up to Antioch. Well, this time they're coming back down, and they get time to stop. And they're going to stop in Perga. They're going to share the word of God in Perga. And then they went down to Adelaide which is a town right there on the coast. From there, they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. So what's going to happen, if we go back to our map, is they, they finished up here in, in this Antioch here. They come down uh, into Perga. They, they kind of zigzag over to Atelier, where they didn't go before. And then from there, they're going to make this, this trip back into the area of Antioch and, and be back with the, the church that sent them out in Antioch. So they're making this trip to, to head back home. And it says they spoke the word in, in Perga. Uh, then they went over to this other coastal city, and then they sailed back to, to Antioch. This round trip would have been about 1,200 miles, they tell us. And guys, listen, most of that was on foot through rugged territory. 1,200 miles on foot to share the gospel. They spent two years on the road, two years sharing the gospel nonstop, it seems, everywhere they went. But these guys still weren't done. They get ready to head back to Antioch, and it says they sailed back to Antioch in verse 26, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had now fulfilled. So Antioch had sent them on a mission. And, and this passage is saying that they finished their mission, they finished their work. And they returned to Antioch, and they get back there because they had, the church had sent them, and, and they had fulfilled their mission, 
And then in verse 27, um, it says that when they arrived, they gathered the church together, and there they declared all that God had done with them and how that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Look at what's happened. Paul and them valuing this partnership with the Antioch church returned back to Antioch. They feel a, a sense of, of needing to make an account for what they had done, an account for where they'd been and what God had done along the way. And so they come back and they take time to report back. It says they arrived. They're finally back home. I was telling a few of my prayer partners this morning that Janet and I have been talking to Daniel and Stephanie the last couple of days. And one of the things that Stephanie says, she says, we... We miss home. You and I would look at where Daniel and Stephanie are and say, well, they're, they're home. But for Daniel and Stephanie, this is still home for them. So we can't wait to get back down there and see everybody because that's still our home. That's what Paul and them felt when they went back to Antioch was this is home for them. It wasn't where they were born. It wasn't where they were educated. It's, it's where they linked with other believers. And they felt God's call, and they obeyed God's call. And they went and did what God sent them to do, but then they went back home to their people, to their church, to the ones that have been praying for them and supporting them and, 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 and in any way they could to encourage them. They're, they're back home. And so they arrived, it says. And then they gathered the church together. They wanted everybody to hear this report. They, they gave time for everybody to, to come on in and gather up and let's, let's hear what, what God had done. To tell of how their prayers had been answered. It's time for the report. So they gathered them together and it says, and they declared all that who had done? All that God had done. If this has been Rob coming back from the first missionary journey, scars on my back, dents in my head from being stoned. I'd want to tell you everything I went through for the gospel. Let me, let me show you my back. You know, let, me, let me show you the scars. Let me, let, me, let me tell you my story of everything I endured for the gospel. If I'm being honest, that's probably where I'd focus a lot of my report. Not Paul. Not Barnabas. They, they arrived... They gathered the church and they declared all that God had done. That was their hero. That was their focus. That's the center of the gospel. Not Paul, not Barnabas. Not the persecutions, not the stonings, not the beatings. Not the sleepless nights, not the shipwrecks. Not, 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 not. God, that's it. And they gather the church back together and they talk about what God had done. Now, God did that with them, and God did that through them, but the focus was upon God. He was center stage. God had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So it's interesting to me that the focus was not upon Paul and Barnabas and everything they'd been through. Not how many miles they traveled, not how many blisters they got on their feet. It was all about God and what God had done and how that God, through his Holy Spirit, had opened the door wide for the Gentiles to hear and to receive and to respond to the gospel. The focus was upon what God did and not just what they did. And then the last verse of chapter 14, verse 28, 
It says, and they remained no little time with the disciples. Hung out a long time back in Antioch. We're not told how long that is, but no short time, no little time. They were there for a while. Why in the world do you think these missionaries would hang out for a while back in Antioch? I think some of it was to rest and recuperate from those two years of nonstop ministry. I think it was a time to renew those friendships back in Antioch, to be able to renew that partnership, to to be able to to stop and to seek and to hear from the Holy Spirit what God had next for them. God didn't lay out their whole life. God laid out a a season of their life, a section of their life, and, and they had finished and they fulfilled that. And now they're back saying, okay, Lord, where are we going next? And what are we going to do again? Where do you send us next? Because you've called us to take the gospel to the world. Now, God, we just need you to show us what part of the world that is. So they're back there, and they're, they're remaining with them no little time with those disciples. I think it's time to rest, to recover from all those, those trials that they've been through, to refresh their spirit. For two years, they'd gone full speed. Now it was time to rest, and rest is of God. So I thought about that this week. That's one of the things that I struggle with sometimes. It's just making some time to, to be still and to hear from God. And I wrote this down, and I can't say this is spirit-inspired, but I think it's, it's gospel, and I think it's true. For us to make our lives, quote, fully available all the time, or fully available even part of the time, we've got to be unavailable some of the time. If I want to be fully present with you, and have something to offer you, have something to give to you, then I've got to be unavailable some of the time. Isn't that what Jesus did? And Jesus sometimes would stay up all night long ministering to the crowds, right? And then he'd get up the next morning and do what? Go off by himself. And the disciples would come and say, Jesus, where in the world have you been, man? The crowds are gathered, they're ready, they're, they're wanting some more of that. And Jesus is saying, nah, we're, we're going to go to the next town and take the gospel. Je- Jesus knew how to balance that out. And I think sometimes we get so anxious to, to, to get the gospel to everybody that we don't take time to rest and we run on empty. We, we burn ourselves out at times. Uh, we, we, we run on fumes and then we have nothing to offer to people when we finally get with them. And so we are with everybody all the time, but we have nothing worthwhile to offer. And so Paul and Barnabas go back to this town and they, they hang out for a while. And they're, they're there. And they stay for no little while. And so as we wrap up this first missionary journey and they get back home to their home group, I think this first missionary journey shows us Paul's heart. This, this evangelism was not just a job to Paul. If it was just a job, he could have hit all those towns and then skirted back around and come back to Antioch. This was not just a job to him. This was his life and his passion. This was his purpose in life. This is what got him out of bed. This is what drove him to do the things that he did every single day. This was who God had created Paul to be. You don't just keep going through all the trials and the persecutions and and then go back and risk it all again if it's just a job. You don't do that unless, unless your heart has been fully captured by Christ. Unless you, you are totally transformed by the grace of God. 
unless you're fully committed to doing anything and everything that God has put you here to do, you don't risk it all like Paul did again and again. I think our world today needs more men like that, more women like that, who say, this is why God woke me up this morning. This is why God let me draw another breath. This is why I'm here. I wonder today how committed you are to Christ's purpose for your life. Not your purpose, but but Christ's purpose to your life. I wonder today, does he have all of you? Every part of you under his lordship, under his leadership? Or is there something that you're holding back? Is, is there anything in your life that you said, Lord, this is, this is just off limits to you? Maybe you've not said it in those words, but your behavior says that. Your actions say that. I wonder today, as we close, I wonder what God could do with you. And I wonder what God could do with me. If we would let go of everything that we're holding on to today. Everything. And say, Lord, everything that I am and that I'll ever be, everything that I own or that I'll ever own, it's yours. My life, my family, my job, my belongings. I wonder what God would do, what he could do with us if everything we had was his. And then I'll say to you and I'll say to myself, we will never know until we let go. I can wonder the rest of my life what woulda, coulda, shoulda been, but I'll never know until I choose to let go. So as we close this morning, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you if you'd say to God, God, I just want to let go of all this stuff that's holding me back. It may not be bad things, but it's holding me back. I, I want to let go of all of that, Lord. And I want to see what you can do with my life completely abandoned to you. So here's your chance as we pray together this morning. Right where you sit, right where you are, to say to the Lord, Lord, I just, I, I give it all. All to you. Let's pray. Father, I'm not sure what it is that, that keeps us from giving everything that we have to a God who gave everything he had to us. God who held nothing back is a God I can trust. A God who loved me more than he loved life itself is a God that I can trust. So Father, for whatever reason that I hold back, whatever reason that I tuck those things away, trying to pretend that you don't see them and that you don't notice. 
Lord, I pray today that you would help us to let go of those things. Not just for your glory, but also for our good. Father, only your spirit can break the grip that stuff has in our lives. So I ask you to do that right now. As we pray and as we worship. As we decide what we're going to do with what you've said to us today. Would you break that grip, God, just by your grace? Break that grip. Show us what you would do with a life that's fully devoted to you. And Lord, I pray that that would start with me. And it would spread to each person. And here's this message. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.